Good morning, hallelujah. It appears the weather uh, may be having an effect. Good morning. Hallelujah. The time is 10 02. I hear somebody's um, alarm beeps. Now we're back to. We're back to continuing with the short series we're doing on sex, sexuality, and Jesus. We'll finish it, not today, but it is important. We're treating a very, very, very important subject within not just life in general, but particularly our discipleship what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as it relates to our bodies, as it relates to the whole of our lives. Now, when I talk of body, I'm not just talking about this physical being. When I talk of the flesh in this context, it is not just this. It is the whole being. It is as the Lord says in Joel, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. He's not talking just about the body. I'll pour all my spirit on your being, every, every individual, but the whole being as it relates to us. Now, please note this. As with every gift, good gifts they are, that the Lord gives to us, we take it, and because of sin, we turn it upside down. Everything. The basic things like food. We can always take it, gifts from God, good gifts, and then we turn them upside down. And usually that is born out of a certain way of thinking. It is an eating way of thinking, if I'll put it that way, before, after, just around the fall. We tell God that we know how best to use the gift you have given us. We know when to use it. We know how to use it. And we know where to use it. As I've said, that is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. We can decide what is wrong and what is right for ourselves. Thank you very much for making us. Thank you for initiating this whole thing about sex. We hear. We can handle it just fine going forward. Could you please leave it for us and trust us? We are mature. We are smart people. Now, many of us um, wrestle with the idea, the thinking that sex outside of marriage is bad. Well, at least qualify it. But if you say it so bluntly, sex outside of marriage is bad. And especially when it is between two people who are not spouses of anybody, and we love each other. We are in a relationship, and we didn't force the other into it. We consented willingly and joyfully to it. Why is this such a big deal? Now, others um, have said, and I heard this on radio, that, I mean, they, they talked about the Bible in general, that the Bible is a cake. Is it, a, is it an ancient text? Times have moved on. Move on with the times. Be modern. Be sophisticated in your thinking. Think empirically. Think scientifically in this day and age. So this whole thing about sex outside marriage is just an old-fashioned idea. 
Times have changed. You can't be that fundamentalist, we say, about this whole thing, what the Bible says about sex outside of marriage. Please understand this. No one, no one in the entire universe actually shows us the glory of and celebrates sex more than the God who created it. No one. Read the Bible right from Genesis through to Revelation. No one celebrates the glory of sex and dances around it and throws it out into the universe than God himself. Let me quickly show two things about sex. Number one, God created sex as an exciting and glorious celebration between a husband and a wife. Now, when you go to Genesis 2, something really interesting happens there. You know it. Genesis 2, 23, 25. Let me read it. The man said, This now, this at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, picture it. When you read it in English, it doesn't, maybe doesn't bring out the whole graphicness of what is going on here. This is a naked man. Eh? Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the naked man standing there, Looking at a naked woman that God has brought to him, he looks at his, her body, and then he bursts. When he says, this at last is born, he bursts into it's either a song or a poem, something. But imagine Adam dancing around and singing upon seeing this body that stood in front of him. And this is shocking. He is doing that in the presence of God. And God approves it. That is how it ought to be. Now, if you think that is enough, later, later, even after the fall, in Proverbs 5, 18, 19, listen to what it says. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Is that literal? I prefer to take it literal. This is good. This is really good. Oh, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to the man and his wife, the woman and her husband. And he says that when you look at her breast, let it satisfy you always. Don't get annoyed if the children has to be, have to be fed, but at least may you be intoxicated with her love. And time will not permit us to Deep into Song of Songs, what we call or Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. This is an epic celebration of a sexual union between the husband and the wife. And he's talking about putting your arms around um, under her head and you know holding her and she embracing you. And before you jump into the spiritual connotation, it is as it is. God, 
giving a gift and celebrating it and allowing it to be documented in detail in his word. And then he says later that oh, all these things happening actually point to something beyond the act, beyond what you see. It is pointing to God's glory. He, it is pointing to not only his glory in creation, it is pointing to his glory in redemption, rescue through Jesus, Christ and the church enacted in that way. So that when a husband and a wife come together in sexual union, it is an imperfect, a dim Dim but very real expression of the enjoyment that we will receive from the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus will receive from us when his bride is united to him upon his second coming. That enjoyment, that's why there will be no marriage in the new creation. Because it has finished its work. Now the real enjoyment will kick in. It is with Christ. I don't know what that will feel like. But no sexual experience comes anywhere close, though it points to it when it happens in marriage. The point I'm trying to make is this. God gave sex and sexual desires as gifts to us in marriage. He gave it. God gave it to us. Yeah, we have problems with it in marriage, but just understand it. I'm not addressing how, what if, what about, no, let's not go there. Let's begin with this. He gave it as a gift in marriage. The Bible is not anti-sex. God is not anti-sex. God talks about it most appropriately than anybody else. God celebrates it than any Hollywood um, movie or Nollywood movie or any Kumawood movie would ever point out to us. Why? Because sex belongs to God. It belongs to him. He gave it as a gift. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. And he gave it to us. And when it is celebrated appropriately, oh, though it is fallen, sin has affected it. Yet, even that, what an enjoyment. The second thing, that this gift, this sex, is a covenant gift that has been given to us. Come to another passage in a minute. Now, what is a covenant? Covenant is basically this. I commit myself to you, you commit yourself to me. Right? We can call it an agreement and all the other language, but essentially, you commit, there is, there is a mutual commitment that takes place. And so when we engage in sex, within the context of marriage, we are reenacting. We are re-showing, we are re-celebrating this act of self-giving. It is self-sacrifice. It is whole life commitment. Sex is, sex is a crown. It's not the, 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 the all and all. It is a crown of something. It is pointing to something. Let me not go ahead of myself. It is actually an external sign of an invisible reality that has taken place between the two of us. When you make yourself naked before a person and you give access to someone to the most intimate, the most private part of your body in marriage, it is a sign that you have already done that. You have already done that with your whole life to that person. You have done that socially. You have done that economically. You have done that legally. Before God, before everyone, it is recognized 
And that's why it's problematic when you're married and let's say you've been married for 10 years, you've never had sex before. People, so what are you doing? It is not that the sex makes the marriage, but it is that this, this actually depicts something that we believe truly has taken place. And so you cannot separate the physical union of sexual intercourse between a man and a woman from that other whole life commitment. They go together. They must go together according to scripture. So when I open up sexually to my wife, you are actually saying that you have already opened up every aspect of you. So it is wicked to open up sexually when you haven't opened up in every other area of life. It is not love at all. It is lust. Let's not confuse it. It is, um, it is love distorted by sin. They mean well, but it is misplaced. Sex is that sign. That's why even in marriage, watch this, those of you who are married, if there are unresolved issues, problems, if there is disunity, what happens? It affects sex life, doesn't it? Because the two must always go together. Otherwise, it is like, just have your way and let me just go to sleep. Not, not, not the other one of I want to save you, but I'm just tired of him. I don't want any more of this problem. Stop nagging. That's all you know. Just have it and just shut up. So sex, like a sacrament, as one preacher puts it, is, um, um, as, it's, it's a sacrament. It's a communion. Like we have communion here. What is a communion? Anytime we come together once a month or however often we have the communion, what are we saying? We are actually proclaiming his death until he comes. We are restating the covenant that exists and all its implications for our lives. That's exactly what is going on, however imperfect. So our problems and wrestling with sex and sexuality and sexual love is from, amongst other things, the way we think about God and the way we think about sex itself. There is a distortion. Now let me read for you Matthew chapter 5. The Lord says something that, verse 27 to 30, he says, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, guard it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, bear this in mind. To understand what the Lord is saying here, you've got to bear this in mind. He is not saying that every sexual desire is bad. That is not what Jesus is saying. Sexual desires are put there by God. Thank God he put that in me. The joy is laughing. Rightly so. But thank God it is there. <laughs> the Lord put it there. 
It is a gift from So the Lord is not saying that every sexual desire is bad and you are going to hell. That's not what he's saying. He is getting at the very heart of our sexual and um, um, of our sex and sexual problems. He's going for the heart. He's not just giving some simple rules and regulations. Don't touch, don't do, don't have sex, that sort of thing. No, 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 no. He's saying, yeah, I get that. But we're not going to deal with it on the surface. We're actually getting to the root of it. We're getting to the heart of it. I'm getting under your skin to show you what the problem is. And the idea of lust, that the word that has been translated lust, it points to something, something deeper. It points to coveting. It, it points to greed. Greed. It means you set your heart on something and you want it for yourself. It, it connotes the idea of being intensely selfish in its desire. You want to have someone for selfish reasons and you will have it at all costs. And then you, it has to do with fantasizing what life would be like if only I had this person or those persons. There is something greedy, selfish, self-centered about it. And so anytime you look at someone, what you see is a sex object, a sexual object. That's, that's all you see, not the whole person. It is what you will get out of that person. And so you tend to think that peeping into somebody's nakedness will get, will get you satisfaction. And you will either do it by the opening at the door when the person is dressing up and you happen to be there, or you will do it on the screen, whether the screen of your phone or computer. There in your heart is a deep, deep, deep longing for satisfaction and for acceptance and for love. There is something that our heart is craving for, that if only we had this, ah, I will go, ah, I've rested. I'm there. We look for it in sex, in sexual love. Because not only our hearts, not only, uh, not only the world, not only the devil, our hearts tells us that if only, if only this could take place, you would have arrived. You will have real satisfaction. And so we tend to think, isn't it, quite subtly, that a person cannot really live soundly and happily without engaging in sex from time to time. We, we tell ourselves when we're teens that if you don't do it, something will happen to you. That is, that is coming from a deep, deep understanding of God and this gift of sex and what it's supposed to do. And then people say that, well, you cannot be too sure whether you are actually compatible. So the common sense way of doing it is actually sleep together and know that you are compatible. How foolish. What makes you think that sex is a way of determining compatibility? So if you engage in it and you are not compatible, bear your calibration. What next? What happens? You go your separate ways. And then sometimes to these sorts of distorted thinking, that is the way it goes. Because for us, the, the person exists primarily when, as a sex object, 
not only that person who wants, but I want to also position myself, dress up, talk, walk, do all these things in a way that makes me sexually appealing. What a reduction. What a reduction. And then for those of us who are married too, we want to build our marriage on sexual energy and find us in our spouses what only God can give us. Great sex that day, happiness. Not great sex, not happiness. Everything is so built on this thing. We have taken the good gift and then distorted it. In other words, we have made an idol out of sex and sexual love and sexuality. We've made it into something that will give us what only God can give us. So, especially for us men, the woman becomes for you a sexual object. And, and that has something to do with pornography. I'll come there in a minute, and then I'll finish. A person to satisfy your greed for sex. It's all about you, and it's not only men. It's women as well. And this greed means what the Lord is saying. You look at a woman lustfully for you, for myself. That is what you exist for. And it, is manif it manifests itself in all kinds of behavior. This greed, one way, number one, is pornography and masturbation. Now, porn is basically, for those of you who don't know what porn is, talk to someone. <laughs> it is basically looking at the nakedness of another person or two people or whatever it may be, they're having sex so that you will receive satisfaction. It's not about them. You don't really care about them. It's, 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 they are products. And you look at them, you're a consumer, and then you are satisfied. It is about you. The person's body is a sexual object. So porn is actually, and, and, and masturbation, these two going together, they often go together. It's such a serious thing that is damaging to not only the person, but makes a statement about God who created the one that we watch. Have their nakedness parade before us. They do some crazy things, and there my knees are met. Selfish self-serving. It is looking for your satisfaction <laughs> through others serving you. Without, giving, without you giving any aspect of your life. Without you engaging in it. It is one of the most intense selfish acts, sexually speaking. So all that you do is to fantasize about a person. You can't help it, so you engage in masturbation. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Here's the thing to all of us. We cannot, not only in sex, we cannot find true satisfaction and rest and peace and the right view of ourselves and the right self-image and all the other things that go with it in any other thing, sex, money, power, whatever it is, not even in marriage, but only in the Lord, in Christ. We can't find it anywhere. Why is it that 
and I'm finishing up. Why is it that people tend to say that I am addicted to pornography? What are we actually saying when we say I'm addicted to this? I, I can't help it. There is, it has grown into an addiction. It, the reason is this. It is because we trust in the promise it gives us. Whatever it is, when you think of it, when you look at it, it promises you something. It is not plain. It is not blank. It promises you something. <laughs> true? True. It assures you that you're going to get something out of this. I promise you. Just watch. Just subscribe. But it is actually promising you something it can't offer. That is what it does. And then the reason we stay there, the reason we stay there is because not only, not only is it promising you something you're looking for, it is because you have also not known or understood or delved deeper into a better promise. You think this is the promise? There is a better promise. There is a better promise of self-identity, real identity. There is a better promise of delights and rest. There is a better promise that God offers through Jesus Christ. This is not a matter of come, your sins are forgiven, you have a ticket to heaven, off you go. This is that and more. It is that which now grounds you and says that by the same thing, by the Lord Jesus, I, I'm going to revolutionize. I'm going to change your entire view of sexuality. You will delight. You will be joyful in this. And by the way, it's not just for this life. It's for all eternity, this delight that he offers. And so Paul speaks to us. And then we believe this is exactly what we need. We need your products. And so we buy into it because for us, deep in our hearts, this is our idol. This whole thing about sex, we take it from God's context, the way God wants it, and then we make it into a God for ourselves. Please, let's not listen to the wisdom of the culture on sex and sexuality. Listen to God. The passage that was read for us, listen to woman fully. And then we'll apply it to this briefly. Woman folly. Two women in Proverbs chapter 9. One is wisdom. The lady wisdom. He speaks first. And then there is the foolish woman. The woman folly speaks. But she speaks very cleverly. Folly is an unruly woman. He said, verse 13. She's, she's, simply and no, she's simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point in the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there. That her guests are deep in the realms of the dead. The wisdom of the prevailing culture on sex and sexuality. Stolen water is sweet. Forget about what this whole thing about God is not saying. Even this God, we doubt it whether or not he exists. 
nothing wrong with sex outside of marriage. Whether it is married people going outside of their covenant relationship to have it elsewhere or unmarried people engaging in it. There is nothing wrong with porn because you are not hurting anybody. You're just watching it. It's you. It's all about you. By the way, brothers and sisters, there's nothing like private sin. Nothing. It has a knock-on effect. It's communal. It affects all of us. And so she offers her wisdom, and she says things like, sex is pleasurable. Express your identity through your sexuality. Sex is a natural appetite, she says. Don't listen to them. Life is short, so have fun with whoever you want to love. It's your life. Your identity is your sexuality. Do it now, she says. Repent later. Your spouse is causing your sexual immorality. Blame him or her. And then sometimes women fully say sex is dirty. Don't talk about it. It's only really necessary for having children, she says. Some people, promise you I'm finishing, married people I've heard say that we watch porn together so that we will learn various acts of having sex. My couple, let me talk to you for a minute. If you and your spouse can watch porn together on the screen so you would improve your act of sexual union, you are doing something deeper. What you are doing is this. You are giving to each other the lenses, the authority to watch the nakedness of another person, whether on the screen or in person, with or without your presence. Because you've done it together. What's the big deal? Oh, darling, today I was watching these two people um, have sex and I learned A, B, C, D from it. You're actually growing in each other, not only a longing for each other, other, but a longing for others. You are creating in each other's mind a certain fantasy and setting up a certain unrealistic standards for each other when it comes to this. Yet, the Bible has everything to teach us about how we approach sex. Should I mention it? You will love it. I promise you. He says, approach sex with a servant-heartedness. With ministry in mind, <laughs> to serve one another, to give yourself, I give myself. He said, approach it that way. As for the skills and the style, they come with time. If you have this mindset, this heart that is being transformed by the gospel, and you give yourself, your aim is to give yourself in holiness, in, in holy matrimony, marriage before the Lord, you will learn, you will learn, you will learn, you will learn. I've been married for 50 years. I haven't learned still. I'm still learning. Oh God, oh God, oh God, brother. The Bible, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. Have this heart towards your wife. Have this heart towards your husband. Skill, what is skill? We will learn it our way. Under God, with self-giving attitude, moving towards each other as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And the church in response gives herself to him. If not, what is happening is that both of you have sex as an idol. 
both of you. Again, let's finish up by listening to what the Lord Jesus says. This is the wisdom of God. Jesus, the wisdom of God. Not Jesus giving us, telling us wisdom ideas. Jesus himself, the wisdom of God. Listen to what he says. Back to Matthew 5, verse 8. If your right eye causes you to stumble, guard it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That idea of hell, the word Gehenna. Now, this is not where you form all your theology about hell. But here in this particular case, there, is, there was actually a Gehenna, a place outside of Jerusalem where they dump stuff, they dump refuse and then burn it. And so he's using over here a vivid image in their minds. It is, it is that place of deep thirst, unsatisfied thirst, and unsatisfied longing. The very thing that they are longing for, that they think they will find by idolizing sex or money or power, whatever it is, you won't find. You only find it in relation to God. And so when you are separated from him in Gehenna, in hell, you don't find it. He's saying something more. So in this life, if we would even make this as our God, you wouldn't find the fulfillment. And that will, because you have separated yourself, you have separated yourself from Christ who gives us the entire, every satisfaction that we truly need. It proved that we have actually separated ourselves eternally. It's not just about the act of sex or greed. It is a heart issue. There is something deeper going on that we need to search and unearth under God by his grace. So our persistence in turning to sex and sexual love and turning it into an idol is a statement we are making about God and we are making about Christ himself. So what should we do? I'm finishing up. What should we do at 1048? What should we do? This is what we should do. Jesus says, be radical about your situation. This because of what sex and sexuality stands for, because it is actually a gospel issue, be radical. Go all out. If your right eye causes you to sin, guard it out. If your arm, cut it off. Now, he's not saying you should go and be guarding and cutting things off. Very soon, we won't have any of you. We'll bury you, and that'll be sad. He's saying that be ruthless about this, this sex sexuality that we turn into idol, this greed. Be ruthless about it. Be radical. Even if it means that you're going to lose, I am, something really precious to you, a relationship that you think will make you so precious to you, lose it for Christ's sake. Unless something is more precious to you than Christ himself, then that makes sense. But that is not good. Lose it. Talk to someone. Put an app on your phone. Do something. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. 
So, brothers and sisters, is there any of us, my brothers and sisters, we're talking together as a family, who is battling with any form of sexual sin? Please, I beg you, don't hide it. Don't hide it. Talk to someone. Do something about it. Please don't hide it. You have no one to please. Don't try to please me. I'm a fellow pilgrim. I'm a fellow disciple. So if you see me as a pastor, celebrity kind of thing, you've got it all wrong. I'm a fellow pilgrim. I'm following Christ, falling. He lifts me up, talking to my wife, working through things. Talk to someone. Talk to someone. Pride will let you keep in. Pleasing people will let you keep it in, and it will destroy you. Talk to someone. Seek counsel. And be willing to repent. It is that serious. Jesus said it. Our Lord said it. The God of all grace, he said it. And he's saying it by grace. Because he knows he'll help you. He'll help you out. You'll be glad you did. What Jesus promises us far outweighs incomparably anything that sexual love, money, power, anything will promise us. And in fact, their promises are false. You'll only find them in Jesus. Amen. Let me pray. Our Father, we know we're dealing with very, very difficult subject. I know that you know that some of us are deeply struggling. And we beg you to help us. Save us, Lord. Save us. The voice of the prevailing culture is loud. And we feel we might be left out. Help us to realize that you are faithful and true to what you say. And your promises are sure. We won't lose out. We will gain everything. Help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.